This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? If you're a Christ follower, you should be glad at least about one thing today. One thing. At least. It's the most profound biblical truth you will ever know in your life. It's also the subject of my first formal sermon that I preached in a tiny church in West Gardner many, many, many years ago. The text of my sermon actually was not a scripture verse. It was a children's song, Bible song. And it's still the most profound thing you will ever know in your life. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Last week, a good friend of mine wrote this on his status line on Facebook. Ah, our Father is so very fond of us. When I read it, I was instantly reminded of a story I've told over and over again that my wife and I had the privilege of hearing from Brennan Manning some years ago. It's a true story about a priest from Detroit by the name of Edward Farrell who went on a two-week summer vacation to Ireland to visit his last living uncle who was about to celebrate his 80th birthday. And on the morning of the great day, according to Mr. Farrell, he and his uncle got up before dawn, dressed in silence, and proceeded to take a long walk around the shores of Lake Killarney. And the two men stopped to watch the sun rise, and standing side by side, staring straight at the sun, rising in the distance, such a long time passed, not a single word was spoken. And suddenly, the old man turned and went skipping down the road like a four-year-old. He was radiant, beaming, smiling from ear to ear. Ed finally spoke up and he said, Uncle Seamus, you really look happy. I am, lad. The man beamed. You want to tell me why? His 80-year-old uncle replied this, Yes, you see, a father is very fond of me. The father is so very fond of me. I think if it is well with your soul, you can say that. Do you really believe God loves you? You really honestly know it? Because I'll tell you, you may say it here in church this morning, but I have sat behind my desk in a counseling session with people before, and inevitably, as I lean forward and ask people that, do you really know God loves you? They break down in the office. No, I don't know that. Deep in your heart of hearts, can you really say in the center of your soul that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the transcendent self-existent one who spoke face to face with Moses on the mountain, do you truly understand that the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ loves you like a son or a daughter? And he not only loves you, by the way, he likes you too. <laughs> Could you stand right now and testify to that fact? Would you? Who would? Somebody stand up and testify. Don't stand if you don't know it. Thank you. I love the other night, a lot of you weren't able to come, but Mitch McVicker was here giving a concert. It was a great concert. Joel and Jana did a great job, too. 
But Mitch said something that really shell-shocked me, and, and yet I thought it was so profound and so good. He said a lot of people asked me to give my testimony, to give my story, how I came to Christ, what my life was about. My you know what he said? He said, this is what I tell people. Watch me. And it wasn't arrogant, and it wasn't prideful. It was very humble. Just watch me. That's biblical. Paul said that. Follow Christ as follow me as you follow as I follow Christ. You can follow someone who knows that God loves them like that. They could say, watch me. Through the good times, the bad, whatever it is, watch me. Because Jesus is my Lord. And he's faithful. Okay, so you may have an intellectual grasp on the fact that God loves you. But do you really know it deep inside like that? Can you say confidently with the innocent trust of a child and a smile on your face from ear to ear, yes, my father is very fond of me. All of us who have the spirit of the living God living inside of us should be able to say that. Why? Because that kind of assurance, that kind of confidence, that kind of settled trust is one of the most important and significant and personal ministries of the Holy Spirit to us as believers that there is. The Bible says that God has poured out His Spirit into our hearts to continually testify to us in countless ways that we are in fact loved by God as His precious children. He is there to constantly remind us of the same truth that the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh himself, spoke to his children through the words of Isaiah in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 43, God said through the prophet these words, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are precious in my sight. You are honored, and I love you what it says in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 4. God says those words, I love you. We need that assurance today. I know I do. And I think many of you do too. I need to have that gut level understanding of how much my father really cares for me because when I really grasp that reality through the inward witness of His Holy Spirit, I'm going to grow stronger spiritually and more faithful in the way that I live my life to God. 1 John chapter 3, and verse 1. I love the way the message puts this. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. That's who we really are. This morning, friends, I need to make a bold disclaimer to you. The message I'm about to share with you, I have preached before. Not just once before. I have preached it before many times, on more than one occasion. But I'll tell you something, it is a message that I will never, ever grow weary of sharing with people because the message has changed my life. And it has changed the lives of a lot of other people that I know as well. 
In addition, it would be spiritually irresponsible for me to leave it out of this series that we're doing on the Holy Spirit for this part of the Holy Spirit's involvement in the life of every single believer is critical not only to the framework of your life as a believer, but especially to the outwork or the outworking of our faith. The Spirit's assurance is the strength of our faith. For all who have received Christ by grace and through faith, one of the greatest truths concerning our heritage in the kingdom of God is the fact that we're not slaves, we're not butlers, we're not doormen, nameless servants, or hired hands. We are sons and daughters of God. Legitimate children. Legitimate children. We are not undocumented immigrants. We are adopted as sons and daughters. How Secure in the family. How can we be so sure? Evidence. Evidence. And the Spirit posts it quite distinctively and definitively in giant billboard-like letters in one of the richest passages in the New Testament in the Scripture. I want you to look at Romans chapter 8 and verses 14 to 17. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, to begin with. I'll read it to you. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, say it with me, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Everybody leaves out verse 17, especially the end part. If there was ever a spiritual truth that needed to be displayed on the billboard of your minds, this is it and mine. The security of our relationship is confirmed by the Spirit in at least three different areas that I want to point out to you in this passage. The first one is this. We have his formal acknowledgement. Formal acknowledgement. Back up to verse 12 for a moment. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then he says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Here is the proof that a person is a son or a daughter of God. Are you being led by the Spirit? Are you being led? If you are personally experiencing God's hand in, at work in your life, it is one piece, one big piece of evidence that you are one of his children. Now, you're probably asking me this. What do you mean by experiencing God's hand in your life? Well, let me ask you a few questions and see if you can answer it yourself. First of all, are you growing in your understanding of God's word? Are you? Secondly, do you sense God prompting you in certain directions, helping you to make certain decisions in your life? 
that prompting, that urging, that tweaking in your heart and soul. Third, are you becoming more sensitive to sin? Not just the sins of others, mind you. Because I know a lot of people that are sensitive to that. And they make no bones about pointing it out to you. But are you becoming more sensitive to the sin, especially in your own life? Because yes, there is, this, there is this thing that we're called to, to call each other to account. But more than that, remember what Jesus said. Remove that telephone pole out of your own eye before you try to take the toothpick out of your brother's. Right? First, you're going to be convicted about your own sin. Here's another one. Is the fruit of the Spirit becoming more evident in your life? Is your character changing? Do you find yourself talking about the things of God more and enjoying it more? Is your lifestyle changing, becoming more in step with Jesus' life? Are you able to say, watch me. Watch me live. Watch me love my wife. Watch me treat my kids the way I treat my kids. Watch me when somebody hits me from behind at the stop sign and what spills out of my mouth. Watch me. Listen. Don't listen. Just watch. Are you concerned about the truth, personal integrity, spiritual authenticity? Do you want to pray? Are you passionate about Jesus? Do lost, hurting people who are far from God matter to you? See, these are some of the areas toward which the Spirit leads us, prompts us, and incites us. Don't get me wrong, Paul's not saying that he's, his leading is never interrupted. Sometimes we're simply not listening or we refuse to follow where he's leading. You know, we're not perfect specimens as children of God. But what Paul is saying essentially is that true believers are generally characterized here by a life that is being directed by the Holy Spirit. It's not an exception to the rule, it's the rule. A person who merely professes to be a Christian knows nothing of this kind of leading. He or she may be outwardly moral, overtly religious, and actively involved in the church or in ministry, but that doesn't prove that he or she is a son or a daughter of God. They may be personally manufacturing everything and fooling everyone around them, operating in their own strength. But the true child of God, however, is motivated by something other than self. Now, exactly how the Spirit leads us is a little bit incomprehensible to us. We simply don't understand the supernatural intricacies that are involved here, but through the Spirit, and though the Spirit will lead, He will not force. Okay? He will not force. He will not force His children into His perfect will, just as Isaiah clarified. He, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher and your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. That's Isaiah chapter 30, verse 20 and 21. This is the way. Walk in it. Think about that now. Think about 
the Spirit leading you. Think about what it would be like if you were so familiar in, with the Spirit of God in your Christian walk that it would almost be like the Spirit coming down and uh, taking your hand, come on, <laughs> and walking around with you and saying, you know what, Al? Let's go this way. I don't like the way we're going that way. Maybe we want to go this way for a while. Why don't you tell Chris uh, you love him as a brother in Christ? I love you, brother. You can go back to your sit now. (laughs) See, how would it be if our lives were led like that all the time? It's like the Spirit's walking with us. You can't see Him. But you can hear him because God's not saying necessarily here that you will literally see his form or hear an audible voice, but he is assuring us that as sons and daughters, we will be clearly led in the right direction into his will. Here's an example for you. My friend that you've heard me talk about um, that I went to high school with, with um, ALS, had a spasm the other night in his sleep and... Uh, of course, he has no control over his muscles and he chewed his tongue so badly that they had to take him to the hospital. His feeding tube also had fallen out in all of that process and he can't eat on his own and he would have starved to death. The next day, I went to see him at the hospital and I spent some time with him. As I left the hospital, I, would, I had been trying to get a hold of one of our mutual friends that had recently come back up to see him. And I was talking, she's a Christian, a strong Christian. And the next day I was talking with her on the phone. She lives in Massachusetts and she's a very, very busy woman. She shared that that night that Mark had this spasm, she was literally awakened out of a sound sleep in her bed during the night. It had this incredible burden to pray for Mark. And he immediately did. And I know many of you that have that on occasion, some very frequently, certain times of the night. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 48, verse 14, For such is our God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us until death. It's a promise. He will guide us, direct us. People who have no relationship with Christ have no such guarantee. How do we know we're being led by the Spirit? Well, I think it's confirmed in a couple of different ways. Two primary areas, at least. Number one is through spiritual illumination. Our eyes become open. You begin to understand what God desires of you and for you, not just of you, but for you. God's purpose for your existence comes, becomes very clear to you. That you were made by God and for God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Says. And then your life begins to start making sense. You read the Bible and you get it. Right? Ever have that happen to you? You get it. I love Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and what it says. Trust in the Lord, Solomon writes. 
with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And what's it say? In all your ways acknowledge him and what? Say it. He will make your path straight. He'll make them straight. Kind of reminds me of what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, that He will guide you into all the truth, right? It's only by the Spirit's direction that we can understand the spiritual truth. He clarifies His Word to us. A person that only professes to believe in God doesn't have this understanding. They keep saying things like, I don't get the Bible. Try to read it, but I don't get it. Well, we don't understand everything that's in the Bible. But there are certain principles in the Bible that you can read and you should get if you're a believer. If nothing else, you get a sense of peace that comes over your soul because you're in God's Word. And it's His love letter to you. D.L. Moody said this, The Bible was not given to us to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. And so the second primary way that the Spirit leads us is through personal transformation. Personal transformation. Listen to Romans chapter 6, verses 12 to 13. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its lustful desires. Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life and use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Amen? Have there been any changes in your life? Sometimes we're not even aware of the changes that the Spirit accomplishes in our lives until somebody else tells us. You know? It's like this morning I came in here and I don't know how many people say, hey, you look good this morning, Pastor. You all dressed up, nice and sharp. And I'm like, oh, thanks. That makes me I look like what during the rest of the time? <laughs> how do I look? Do I look like garbage? What? <laughs> no. no. I appreciate the compliments. But sometimes, you know, your life is changing in ways and you don't see it, but everybody else does. And sometimes they let you know. And, and, and even though we're not consciously aware of his work in us all the time, he nevertheless is at work in us all the time. Amen? And when we're being led by the Spirit, our eyes become opened, our lives get changed. And if your life is not changing and your eyes are not opening, chances are good that you're not being led. If you're not being led, then chances are good that the Spirit is not in you. If the Spirit is not in you, then you do not belong to Christ. And if you don't belong to Christ, then you are not a child of God. If you're not a child of God, then the next step is very obvious. You need to become one. Amen? That deserved a much bigger amen than that. God longs for you to be one of his sons and daughters. That's his desire. God does not want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. He didn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked, the scripture says. But rather that we would come to repentance and that we would know him. That's why he made entrance into his family so majestically simple. How simple? This simple. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Amen. We have the assurance. He has formally acknowledged it. 
all who have been led by the Spirit into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and are being led into a growing intimacy with Him by the Spirit are, the Scripture says, sons of God. Our sonship is confirmed by formal acknowledgement, but also by something much more, much more astounding, much more personal to us. The fact is, is that as his children, we have free and familiar access to God. Look at verse 15 here in Romans chapter 8. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leaving to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. I love this verse. In other words, we have refrigerator rights. You ever hear that term before? Refrigerator, you never heard that term before? What are refrigerator rights? Well, purportedly coined by Dr. Will Miller, who wrote a book under the same title, the phrase refrigerator rights defines the depth, closeness, and intimacy of a relationship. Okay? Friends with refrigerator rights can help themselves to anything in your refrigerator without asking your permission. Okay? Now, think about this. How many people do you know that can open your refrigerator without asking your permission? Presumably, this would include those who you live with. Okay? But are there others? Among your friends and acquaintances, how many are so at home, when in your home, that they can raid your fridge without asking first? The people in your life with whom you share refrigerator privileges are different than casual friendships, would you say? They are people who have essentially become family to you. One of the richest truths in all of Scripture is the fact that we have been adopted by God into His family as adult sons, by the way, not little kids. This text, when it says, when it's talking about the adoption as sons, the term is referring to adult sons, not children. Adult sons and daughters, and possess, we possess all the rights, privileges, benefits, and blessings of a member of that family. In other words, we're an heir, an heir to the refrigerator. <laughs> the results are of our adoption, if you want to really contemplate them, are absolutely astounding. Use chap Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11 for your devotions this week. If you don't have anything already scheduled, or add this to it, can't be overburdened with the Word of God, right? Well, you can be if you're not getting anything out of it. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and kind of identify what kind of things that we have inherited from being adopted into the family. Adoption means that we have received the spirit of fatherly care. We no longer bound by the fear of being enslaved by a hard taskmaster. God is not a spiritual slave driver. Okay? He's not. 
or as one man has suggested, the great hangman in the sky, or a policeman with a club who's going to bat us over the head every time we stumble and fall. This is not God. This is not God's character. Why? Because as Paul insists right here in Romans, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received an adoption of sons by which we cry out, Daddy, Abba. Abba, Father, we have spiritual refrigerator rights. We no longer have to think of ourselves as people in bondage, enslaved to sin, or chained to a list of rules to counteract sin. That's what the Old Testament law was. That's what Paul's writing about. You are not in bondage to that anymore. Now you have the Spirit who leads you in a different way. You don't have to follow the law. You follow the Spirit and you will never break the law. Until a person lets Christ deal with sin, forgiving it, cleansing it, removing its guilt and reversing its control, fear rules. Fear rules. Are you ruled by fear? John MacArthur said it like this. He said, slavery to sin brings slavery to fear. And one of the gracious works of the Holy Spirit is to deliver God's children from both. That means that the devil can no longer enslave you acting like a spiritual pimp because that's all he is, right? Think about that. If you kowtow to him and serve him, it's ridiculous. You don't have to if you have the Spirit of God. He has no control over you. You don't have to fear him. Christ has already become victorious over him. Amen. And you know what the devil throws in our faces, threatening us with the greatest fear of all? What is it? The fear of death. And I've been dealing so much with death in the last three weeks. Death, people dying, people close to death, people that I know are going to die within the next probably few months. And I know some of you work with people. Laurel, you work with people like that all the time. It's great to see a smile on your face. <laughs> because why? Because you have the Spirit of God. It enables us not to fear death. And one of the things that I have lamented in the last couple of weeks as, as I've gone to these funerals, done these funerals, is the, the complete utter despair that people have when a, when a person that does not know Christ dies. And everything's lost. But this says you don't have to be fearful. You don't have to be. Because devil no longer has power to throw it in your face anymore. Death no longer can be thrown in our faces to intimidate us because we have been delivered. You've been delivered. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Since the children, as he calls them, are people of flesh and blood, Jesus himself became like them and shared their human nature. He did this so that through his death, he might destroy the devil who has the power over death and in this way set free those who were slaves all their lives because of their fear of death. That's a great verse. A couple of verses. As God's children... 
adopted into his family, we no longer have to live in the fear of disappointing people because of our imperfections anymore. We don't have to measure up. We don't have to, because we fail so often and fall so far short. We don't have to fear that we won't be accepted for who we are or what we become because the spirit of adoption that we have received through faith in Christ, the Spirit helps us to recognize that God has our best interests at His heart, and no matter what happens, if you are a child of God, you are the apple of His eye. And you can say, ah, my Father is so fond of me. You don't say that when you're in the midst of sin thinking that because of your father's love, you can do whatever you want and he won't care, that would be a slap in the face of Jesus Christ on the cross. No, that's not what Paul's saying. What he's saying is, you are his child, adopted into the family. And that's not going to change if you're in Christ. Fantastic picture of this came to my attention through someone who wrote in a Reader's Digest article. It's a story about someone's Aunt Ruby and Uncle Arnie who had adopted a baby boy after five years of trying unsuccessfully to conceive. To their surprise, shortly after the adoption, Aunt Ruby discovered that she was pregnant. Isn't that always the way, right? Well, they gave birth to a wonderful baby boy. And the story continues. One day, when the two boys were eight and nine years old, the teller of the story was visiting Aunt Ruby, and a woman in the neighborhood came to visit. And watching the children play, the woman asked, Which boy is yours, Ruby? She said, Both of them. And the caller persisted. But I mean, which one is adopted? And Aunt Ruby did not hesitate. It was her finest hour. She looked straight at her guest, and she said this, I've forgotten. I forgot. See, when we're adopted as God's children, we become the object of his care and his protection and the apple of his eye. He forgets all about our past. I mean, he doesn't actually forget about it. He's God. It's all there. But he chooses not to think about it. He chooses not to think about it. That's what it means when it says God forgets. And he sees us as one of the family. Why? Because he's our Abba. Not just our Heavenly Father. He's our Dad. Term which, according to scientific evidence, almost every child grows up uttering as their first word. Sorry, ladies, but the majority, the statistics prove it's Dada or Abba. If you're a Hebrew child... And it's a term which Jesus used and totally shocked the Jewish disciples in the community of his day. Term which he taught his disciples to use in prayer. A term which one biblical scholar believes to be the primary, quote, most important revelation of Jesus Christ in the entire New Testament. Opening up the possibility of undreamed of, unheard of intimacy with God in prayer. A term which Paul says the Spirit inspires our hearts to use as God's sons and daughters. That's what it says here, right? The Spirit himself. The adoption, the spirit of adoption is sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. 
point is that though through this spirit of adoption, our, our relationship with God becomes intimate, it becomes familiar, it's free and easy as a relationship was when my children were five years old and they'd crawl up onto my lap and they'd look me in the eye and they would call me daddy. Daddy, my daddy. Love that, you know. I love it when my daughter calls me daddy even today. She's an adult now. And the older I get, the more sensitive I get to it. My son, my 30-year-old son called me daddy the other day, and it took me by surprise. I almost started bawling. There's something about it. Let me ask you, do you know that kind of relationship with your heavenly father? I've got to admit, I don't really have a good handle on that myself either. Nevertheless, that's the loving and free and familiar relationship that he wants to have with us. John wrote, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. God has declared to all believers, because of our adoption, I will welcome you in 2 Corinthians 6. I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me. Do you know that kind of God? Have you received that spirit of adoption which enables you to cry out to God as your daddy, your Abba? And you know the word cry here in, in this scripture? The word cry here is a very strong word. It means to exclaim, to clamor, to literally scream or cry out in a loud voice expressing deep emotion and fervency. You know what it's used of? It's used of Jesus' scream from the cross when he cried out, yielding up his spirit. We tend to think that Jesus was on the cross and he just simply whispered the words under his breath. But the scripture says differently. The scripture said he cried out, screamed out. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It's not a reasoned cry, Pastor Kent Hughes says. It's a reflexive one. It's the cry of children. They don't think about it, right? They just do it out of need. And when you are in dire need, is your relationship characterized by such easy familiarity and childlike intimacy that you can literally cry out like our kids do, Daddy! Daddy, I need you! See, to do that implies a real knowledge of God as a loving Father. It means that we no longer see God as someone who is distant from us, but right there with us. He's not just a God we believe in with our heads or our minds, but a Father we trust in with our hearts. 18 inches. Just remember that. 18 inches. That's the distance between your head and your heart. But it's the difference between an eternity in relationship with, with God as your Father and just spouting the words that he's your God. 18 inches. Head to heart. He's not just a God we believe in with our minds. 
In the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, an old, fabulous preacher, wrote a book on expository preaching, really. This is real Christianity. To cry, Abba, Father, is one of the most glorious proofs of sonship, higher than anything we have considered before, he said. If I live to be a hundred, I will never forget another story I heard Brendan Manning tell. One of his conferences talks on this particular subject of being a child of God. He spoke on a retreat he gave in the Midwest several years ago. Some of you, many of you have heard this. As, as again, I said, I preached this so many times. I love it. The message of it. The attendance at this conference was huge. Five to 6,000 people. And in Brennan's own words, he said, every night after the service, I went to this room where people actually came for counseling and healing prayer. And finally, the line ended at midnight. And so I was exhausted. I went up to my room to bed. One o'clock in the morning, I hear a knock on the door. I get up, put my robe on, open the door. It's a 78-year-old nun standing outside my door. Brennan says, come on in, sister, have a seat. What can I do for you? She began to cry uncontrollably, shaking, heaving, frail little woman. Her whole body's just shaking. And he said, I felt utterly helpless, powerless. Finally, when her tears subsided, I asked her, would you like to talk about it? She said, I never told anybody this in my whole entire life. I was four years old. My father would crawl into my bed with no clothes on. He would touch me here and there, and he'd tell me to touch him. He said, that's what the doctor said we should do to know each other. When I was nine years old, my father took my virginity, and by the time I was 12, I knew about every kind of sexual perversion that you could read about in a dirty book, she said. He said, Brennan, do you have any idea, any idea of how filthy I feel? I have lived with so much hatred of my father and hatred of myself that I only go to the communion table when my absence there might be conspicuous. This is a nun. And she said, well, I prayed, Brendan says, I prayed with her for about 20 minutes for inner healing, and then I asked her, sister, would you be willing for the next month or so to go off to a quiet place every morning, sit down in a chair, close your eyes, turn your palms up to heaven, and pray this one phrase over and over again. Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. It's a prayer that's exactly seven syllables. And seven syllables corresponds perfect, perfectly to the rhythm of your breathing. Now, if you read, have you read anything about prayer and contemplative prayer, there are these things called breath prayers, and this is one. At the outset of the course, you say it with your lips, but then your mind becomes conscious of the meaning of it. And in a figurative sense, you push what is in your head 18 inches down into your heart. And so that now, Abba, I belong to you, becomes a heartfelt cry from the depth of your being, establishing it at the beginning of each day, who you are, why you're here, and where you're going. It's a prayer you can pray while you're driving your car, walking through the mall, making a bed, watching TV, changing a diaper, sitting in church. Abba, I belong to you. 
And when you do this, he said literally, I mean literally hundreds of times a day, then you can do as Jesus said to do in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, that you can pray all day long and never lose heart. So he asked the old nun, would you try it? And she said, yes, I will. Two weeks later, Brennan said, I received the most moving and poetic letter that I have ever gotten in the ministry. This old woman described the inner healing of her heart, the complete forgiveness of her father, and an inner peace that she had never known before, and she ended her letter this way, quote, a year ago I would have signed this letter with my real name in religious life, Sister Mary Genevieve. But from now on, I'm just daddy's little girl. And I ask you this morning, do you know that kind of intimacy with your dad in heaven, your father in heaven? Because that's the relationship that Jesus had with his father in heaven. And it's the one he wants of us. That's why I say that the Spirit's activity in assuring us of our sonship is one of his most important ministries and personal ministries as it relates to the strengthening of our faith. Your faith will be strengthened by that, by knowing that. And it's only those who are truly sons and daughters of God who actually know in their hearts that they are sons and daughters of God who can cry out, Abba, I belong to you. Because no one else can say that and have it be true. For the unbeliever is a very fearful concept. Oh, it's possible for people to mouth the words, but they will have zero impact on a person's unbelieving life. Those words can only be uttered comfortably and confidently in, in faith by the Spirit and through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You can believe in God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, but you will never know him as Father without him. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father but through me. He who has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know that kind of intimacy? That's what the Spirit assures us we can have. The Spirit's assurance is the strength of our faith. Our adoption as sons and daughters is confirmed through the formal acknowledgement of His Spirit. It guarantees free and familiar access to God as our Abba. And through the witness of the Spirit within us, we have finally first-hand assurance. And I want to dwell on this because I know it's late. But look at verses 16 and 17. First-hand assurance, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. You know, this concept of adoption in some people's minds smacks of second-class status in the family. I've already pointed out a story to tell you that it's not. In fact, in Paul's day, an adopted son in that time carried great prestige and privilege, sometimes even greater than that of the natural-born son. The adopted son would eventually inherit all that the father had, his name, his estate, etc. And it's because of God's unbelievable, not unbelievable, it's believable, but it's just incomprehensible, gracious and outrageous love for us that we've been adopted as his children. It is never seen as second-rate in the Scripture, this idea of being adopted. 
That's why Paul could write these words in Ephesians chapter 1. Fantastic, fantastic words. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his kind intention. And we, in verse 11, says we have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance. And we were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And we're going to get into that probably next time. with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. See, the Spirit's not only our guarantee that we are heirs, but he himself witnesses with our own spirits that we are indeed in the family. That's his ministry. And it's not wishful thinking on our part. In fact, the Bible says, we are children of God. Folks, take God's word at face value. 1 John chapter 5, I'll wind this up, verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. That's the Spirit. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has eternal life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And then this, this last verse here. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. You should underline this if it's not already. So that you may hope. Right? Is that what it says? What's it say? Say it louder. So that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may no, we can know that we're children of God. And look at the progression here in this last verse of Romans chapter 8, verse 17. If children, then heirs also, and heirs of God, and then fellow heirs with Christ. Notice that. Every adopted child of God will receive the full inheritance with the Son. Everything that Christ receives by divine right, we will receive by divine grace, said John MacArthur, including, as it says here, Suffering for Christ. But that's food for another sermon. So do you know you're a child of God? How's your soul? God makes sure that his children know that they're his children. 
And it comes from the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Sometimes we doubt our salvation. We look at the lack of progress in our life, the setbacks or slip-ups, but the Spirit doesn't base His assurance on progress or lack of it. He bases it on whether or not we've been born from above. Right? It's no surprise that Paul cradles this truth in the middle of a chapter that begins and ends with the assurance of a true believer that he is no longer and never can be under God's condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is no more, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? And then at the end of the chapter, in verses 38, 39, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Right? And here in the middle of those two bookends is couched this thing that tells us that the Spirit in our hearts the Spirit who has been given to us testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The strength of our faith lies in the Spirit's assurance. Our adoption as sons and daughters is so secure that you can cry out and I can cry out if we're in Christ with confidence, Abba, say it, I belong to you. I belong to you. And if you can't say that, you need to make it right because it's God's desire for you. Because you know what? He would rather die for you than live without you. Let's pray as we go to this communion table and prepare your hearts. If you're one of those people that don't know this in your heart, that you cannot say with full confidence, Abba, I belong to you, I'm going to ask you right now to pray the prayer the only prayer that you need to pray at this point in time so that you can walk out of this place this morning saying, it is well with my soul. Pray, our Father, God, I know that I'm not your child. I've sinned grievously against you. But I want to be your child and I believe that Jesus Christ by his death, burial, and resurrection and appearance to many Cleanse me of my sin on that cross. As I come to you in faith, I want you to lead me in this life so that I can walk and say, as a testimony to the world, watch me. Because God is my Abba and I belong to him.